Welcome to the Just Ingredients Podcast. I'm Cara Lynn, and here we talk all things nourishing to the mind, body, and soul. This is a place where you can find just good ingredients to life. Looking for a toxic-free nail polish option for your kids? Paint those piggies with Piggy Paint Nail Polish, a premium brand trusted by parents. Piggy Paint is a water-based, odorless formula that dries hard and is free of all harsh, smelly chemicals. With over 40 fun, vibrant shades available, this non-toxic nail polish is kid-friendly and safe for all ages. Enjoy gift sets, scented options, accessories, and don't forget the nail art. Grab your Piggy Paint today with 20% off at www.piggypaint.com backslash ingredients. Or just use code JUSTINGREDIENTS at checkout for the same offer. Sal Stefano started as a professional in the fitness industry as a trainer at the age of 18. His passion for fitness combined with his love of people quickly propelled him into big box gym management by the time he was 19 years old. During his career in gym management, he grand opened some of the largest gyms in the California Bay Area. Currently, Sal is one of the most sought-after experts in fitness and health with his effective, grounded, and easy-to-understand style of communication. He has been on hundreds of top podcast shows and frequently speaks at trainer and health practitioner events. His passion for fitness, health, and people is unmatched, and he is steadfast with his goal of making the fitness industry one that is a force for good, with long-term health being the focus and not one that is riddled with diet pills, crash diets, and false promises. A quote that Sal is often credited for summarizes his approach to fitness and health. Exercise and eat right because you love your body, not because you hate your body. Welcome back everyone to the show. I am so excited to have Sal here today. I have heard him on his podcast. I've heard him on other people's podcasts. And I actually reached out to people that helped me find guests. And I was like, you have to get Sal. I want to talk to Sal about building muscle and lifting weights and protein and all sorts of things. So thank you so much for being here today. I am really excited to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me on, Carl, and I appreciate it. Can we start with just telling my listeners a little bit about yourself, how you got involved in exercise, things like that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, personally, I started exercising quite young. I was 14 years old. My parents had a, or my dad had a weight set in the backyard and I started working out for the same reasons I think a lot of people started exercising. It's uh, I had some insecurities, so I had some body image issues, and I I wanted to build my body up and be more athletic, and uh, quickly fell in love with it. And I become a nerd about the things that I really enjoy. And I once I started doing it, I it was the thing I enjoyed most. So I studied it, I read books on it. Um, it became a, a total passion of mine to go to the library and read you know, Soviet studies on Olympic weightlifting and, and bodybuilding. And I'd read chemistry books to understand supplements and how they were affected the body. And of course, subscribe to all the magazines and did that for a while. And at the age of 18, I was old enough to become a trainer at uh, one of our local gyms. It was a 24 hour fitness. So this was uh, 1997 applied to become a trainer, became a personal trainer. And day one, I knew this is what I'm supposed to do. I need, to, this is what I'm supposed to do for the rest of my life. I loved it that much. Within a short period of time, four, four or five months, I became the fitness manager of that gym. So I was managing the trainers. And then by the time I was 19, I was managing these big box gyms and grand opening clubs. And 
at 22, I went off on my own and I've been an entrepreneur ever since. I owned a wellness studio for a long time where I had personal training, massage therapy. We had gut and hormone testing, acupuncture, meditation, all in kind of one small space. And I did that for a long time. I really enjoyed doing it. I learned a lot from the other practitioners in my facility. I mean, when I started that, I was very much the the trainer. So I knew, you know, exercise, I knew fat burning, I knew macros, but I didn't know very much about wellness. Um, and I was very, very fortunate and blessed to work with people in different aspects of health and wellness that were so good at what they did. And I just learned through watching them, working with them, sharing clients, watching the success that they had. And it really developed uh, the voice that I have now on my podcast. Um, and, you know, started Mind Pump with my partners about seven years ago. And about a year and a half in, we sold our businesses and did this full time. So for the last six years or so, I've been, you know, the owner of Mind Pump and, and doing this full time podcasting and media side of it and really trying to our goal was and still is to shift the direction of the health and fitness industry in a positive way. You know, having having worked in gyms and trained so many people personally and then also by proxy with people under me, I, I continued to see the same challenges and issues and I had to overcome the same myths over and over again. And it was very frustrating, uh, but I have a passion for for helping people. And so when the opportunity arose to do this, and be able to communicate to more people. And I, again, I was blessed again to meet people who were just as interested in doing that as I was. We're like, okay, we need to be able to sell the right information better than they can sell the wrong information. That's the only way we're going to win this. And, and that's been our goal. Our goal is really to, okay, we have to be able to compete with the person that says, you can lose 30 pounds in 30 days by taking this diet pill and beating yourself up. And my message is, it's going to take you a year or longer. You have to change behaviors. It's a, you know, it's a lifestyle. I got to sell that message better. And that's a challenge, but I think we're, we're, it's working um, at least at our scale. And so we're going to continue doing that. That's, that's the passion that I, that I have still today. That's what I love about your podcast is that you're about wellness and behavioral changes and things. And that there's not just some quick fix, some quick pill you can take that overnight, you know, you lose all this weight, that it's a, a process. And so I appreciate that. I want to talk to you today about resistance training, just because okay. that is a trendy topic these days. So I really want to delve into this. So let's just start at the basics for people. What is resistance training? And is it the same thing as lifting weights? Is that what resistance training is? Yeah. So think of resistance training as an umbrella term that covers any form of exercise that uses resistance in a in an effort to build strength and muscle. Okay, so it's not just resistance because you could use resistance in ways to build uh, cardiovascular endurance and stamina and flexibility. Um, but that's not what I'm referring to when I talk about resistance training and its benefits. I'm I'm talking specifically about using resistance to build strength, build muscle, and then all of the positive effects that that brings along, which we can uh, definitely talk about. So that encompasses, of course, weights and machines, but it also is bands. It's also body weight. It's also, you know, static tension, essentially any form of resistance that's appropriate. I, I want to emphasize that. And you'll hear me say that a lot in our conversation. Uh, that's appropriate in a way to build strength and muscle. Okay. So that's a lot of things. And it's just basically the things that are not cardio related. Essentially. So 
when it, so anytime you exercise the body, the reason why your body improves, okay, so why you build strength or why you would build endurance or flexibility is you've placed the stress upon the body. And what the body does is it tries to adapt to that stress so that that same stress is no longer a stress later on. So that insult doesn't cause stress to your body. So it's really no different than other forms of adaptation. Like if, if you handle rough objects, you eventually start to develop calluses, or if you expose yourself to the sun, your skin darkens, right? So when you train your body, your body tries to get better at the stress that's being placed upon it. Now, that's that's this is very simplified, okay? I'm, I'm oversimplifying it. The stress has to be appropriate to the individual because if the stress is too much, then the body first can only worry about healing and, and really can't focus on adapting. Adapting requires more energy, you need to build more tissues. It's a process that can happen simultaneously from healing or with healing, but it is a separate process. And the reason why I'm saying that is because a lot of people confuse the healing process or recovery with adaptation. So in other words, to give you an example, someone may go work out, get really sore. The soreness goes away. They go back to the gym and they do this another hard workout. And, and yet they don't see any improvement. And they're like, well, I'm recovering. My soreness goes away, but what's going on? And it's because the stimulus is not appropriate for your body. Typically, people overdo it um, because we overemphasize the the pain and the sweat and the soreness. Uh, we think those are great indicators of a good workout. They're actually terrible indicators of a, of a good workout. And we don't understand adaptation. We understand healing to some extent, but not um, adaptation. So that's what happens with the exercise process. So resistance training, the goal is to induce the adaptation of strength and, and, and muscle. So muscle hypertrophy, which is the technical term for building muscle, and then building strength, your, your muscle's ability or your body's ability to contract uh, your muscles with more force in a more organized, efficient, harmonious way, which allows you to, to have more stability, to lift more load, to support your body uh, more effectively. You know, that, that's all in that kind of that strength sphere. Okay, I have a lot of questions to ask you about a lot of things you just said. We're going to talk about overtraining, building muscle, things like that. But let's start at some of the basics still. Because for years and years with women, they've really pushed cardio. Like it's so good for your heart. You're going to burn a lot of calories. And now, especially like on social media, things like that, you'll see a lot about resistance training, lifting heavier, lifting weights. So are there good benefits to lifting weights better than cardio or not necessarily? Yeah. yeah, no, that's a great question. So let's start first with the damage that the fitness industry, the fitness and health industry has done to women. Okay. It's been monumental for a few different reasons. Uh, but number one is we've discouraged women for a long time. Now this is starting to change. And I, I, this it's look, I've been doing this for over two decades and I go to gyms now and I see women doing things in the weight area that I never saw before. Yeah. Um, so it's really exciting. Okay. But women have been discouraged to lift weights. And part of the reason is when gyms first started, they were definitely men only facilities. Uh, they weren't really businesses. It was like, if you were a bodybuilder yourself or a strength athlete yourself, you opened up this gym because you love doing it and you, your buddies came by and it wasn't really a, a, an inviting um, area for women. Plus in those days, women were discouraged from doing anything physical or that resembled sports, right? So it was just a bunch of men. Then the gym industry, so you already developed this kind of stereotype, right? Where, oh, if you lift weights, you're going to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger, or you're going to look like these, you know, these huge muscular bodybuilders. Then the gym industry became an industry, 
where they started to figure out if we want to make money and grow, we have to tap into this uh, other demographic. And but there's this, you know, this stereotype around lifting weights in particular, how are we going to attract these women? So what they did is they they used the word toned. Toned in the scientific sense means just your ability, the, the, a muscle's ability to contract. But the fitness took that and <laughs> distorted it and said things like, you're not going to build big muscles. You're just going to tone, which mm-hmm. doesn't work that way. Muscles either build or they shrink. So if you building to a smaller degree is what you experience when you get tighter, right? So muscles build or shrink. They don't tone. They don't shape. They don't get longer. That's another one. You'll build long, lean muscles. The, the length of your muscles is determined by your genetics. So you can't, unless you surgically remove an attachment and move it, you're not going to get longer looking muscles. Um, but so the fitness industry pushed into that. And then what they did is they said things like, here's how you're going to do it. You're not going to lift heavy. Mm-hmm. You're just going to do a million reps with really light weights. And then they built these really condescending machines and rooms. I mean, the first gym that I worked in had a women's only room. And I remember going in there and see, noticing that the equipment, the machines were identical okay, to the machines that were out on the regular workout floor, except they had pink upholstery. <laughs> so they had pink upholstery, same machines. And the dumbbells only went up to 10 pounds and they were pink and purple. Okay. And I remember thinking this is a trainer. I thought, oh, this is so silly. Like they're just, <laughs> this is so, they're sending the wrong message. Right. Um, and we're doing a, a, a lot of harm. Um, so that's how they kind of sold it. And then the whole calorie burn model, right? You know, I'll, I'll get into that for a second because that's a really good one. To lose weight. So this is a true statement, right? To lose weight, you have to burn more calories than you take in. So this is a true statement. Now it's oversimplifying the process, like dramatically. However, what I just said is part of it. It's a law of physics. It's a law of thermodynamics. So you're not going to lose weight if you're taking in more calories than you're burning, no matter what. So we know that. And then what we did, and this some of the one of the big mistakes we made with this particular truth, besides oversimplifying weight loss, is we said, okay, let's look at the the calorie burn side of this equation. And now let's rank exercises or workouts based on how many calories they burn. That's what'll determine what's best form of exercise versus the worst form of exercise. Now, this is terrible because of all, and this is a true statement I'm about to make right now, of all of the values that workout programs and methods provide you, the calories you burn while you perform the exercises literally at the bottom. Okay? I agree. It's it's the least important aspect of that form of exercise. At the top is the adaptation that that exercise induces in your body. And then what does that adaptation mean? That's what we want to look at. Like, what does the adaptation mean? Okay, so why is the calorie burn so not important? Well, first off, you don't burn a lot of calories when you exercise. I hate to break this to people, but those machines that you get on at the gym, those cardio machines that tell you you burned 800 calories, you know, in an hour of exercise are totally lying to you. They're completely lying to you. Okay. The average person is lucky if they burn three or 400 calories with an hour of really intense exercise. You might think that's a lot. That's nothing. If you work out three days a week, that's maybe 1200 calories in a week. I mean, I could do that. I don't know about you, but I could eat 1200 calories in 15 minutes. So women are going to be be really disappointed to hear this. Well, no, don't be disappointed because I'm, I'm going to tell you the more effective model, okay? And what I'm trying to do is show you that trying to burn calories manually is a for weight loss is a wasted effort, okay? Um, now, activity is good for you, so I don't want to send the wrong message. But, the, but trying to burn the calories yourself by moving 
it's it's a it's a massive waste of time. And this is part of the reason why weight loss and fat loss is so frustrating to people. I'll I'll, I'll highlight a study that illustrates what I'm talking about that really really hits it home. Uh, so there's a a modern hunter gatherer tribe that that we've observed and has been a part of studies. They're called the Hadza tribe. They're in northern northern Tanzania. Um, and they live the way that humans live for most of human evolution. They're hunter gatherers, so they they don't have they don't use modern agriculture, they don't use electronics. Uh, they hunt, and the way they hunt is the way that we probably hunted thousands of years ago. They'll throw a spear at an animal and then they'll chase it until it collapses. So they'll run for distances or trek for distances and then drag that animal back. They'll gather um, naturally, you know, growing roots and tubers and, and you know vegetables and that kind of stuff. And um, they'll collect their water. That's how they live. So scientists went to this tribe and through some really sophisticated testing, tested their metabolic rates. How many calories are these people burning a day? I mean, uh, they're, they're so active in comparison to the average Western couch potato. Well, the results came back. And to the average person, the results were shocking. But if you understand evolution, you, you know that this makes perfect sense. These modern hunter-gatherers that are hunting and running after prey for miles and dragging it back and gathering and they, they don't have electronics they don't have modern technology and comforts these modern hunter-gatherers burned roughly the same amount of calories as the average western couch potato oh, so you wow. might think yeah and you might think how that's how's that even possible right well if our bodies never evolved to become more efficient with certain types of activity if we burned 7000 calories a day hunting and gathering we would have never survived because it's so hard to come across calories when you're a hunter-gatherer. Not like now, like today, you know, if you live in modern society, calories are easy to come by. But if you were a hunter-gatherer, you know, just getting 2,000 calories a day, like it took a lot of work and you had to be a successful hunter uh, in order to do so. So the body learns to adapt to become more or less efficient. You know, our mammalian metabolism is a very complex thing. It's actually probably the second most complex thing we've observed on earth, maybe behind uh, under the the brain, the human brain and consciousness. It's very complex. There's a lot of room for more or less efficiency, and what tells your body to burn more or less calories are your activities or your lifestyle and how you feed yourself, okay? Those things can make your body burn more or less calories. Now, the form of exercise or the forms of exercise that we tend to value. So let's back up a little bit, right? Those high calorie burning exercises like long distance running. You know, if I if I compared running for an hour to any other form of exercise, you're going to burn more calories running. I'm going to burn more calories running than definitely than strength training or resistance training in that hour. But the problem is that type of activity, you're asking your body a couple different things. You're telling your body Number one, we're burning a lot of calories while we're doing this. And number two, we don't need a lot of strength in order to do this. The endurance type activities, cardio, doesn't require a lot of strength. You can even look at the top, top, top marathon runners, and you'll notice that they have very little muscle on their bodies. You just don't need a lot of strength. You need a lot of endurance, right? So your body learns to get better at that by becoming more efficient. You actually start to slow your metabolism down. And part of the process is by paring muscle down. Muscle is a very expensive tissue on the body. So it's like it's like your car engine. Like think of a gas-burning engine. Eight-cylinder engine is going to be more expensive than a two-cylinder engine. So your body pairs muscle down. And we see this in studies. When people do just cardio plus diet to lose weight, 
a good chunk of that weight loss in some studies, almost half comes from muscle. So you lose 10 pounds, five come from muscle, five come from body fat. The end result is you're close to the same body fat percentage you were before. So you're just a smaller, same, you know, for lack of a better term, flabbiness version of yourself. But now you have a metabolism that's slower. And so here's what people experience. So here's where I'm going to start to resonate with people. You're like, hey, I want to lose 30 pounds. So I'm going to lace up my running shoes or I'm going to get on a stationary bike and I'm going to start cutting my calories. And you have 30 pounds to lose. That first 10 comes off real fast, right? And you're not aware that you've lost some muscle with that. Most people don't body fat test themselves or test their strength. They just see that they, the scale went down. So I lost 10 pounds, but now your metabolism is starting to match your calorie burn and your caloric intake. So you plateau. Metabolism slowed down, lost 10 pounds. Oh my gosh, no more weight's coming off. Uh, okay, I guess I'll do more cardio and I guess I'll cut my calories even more. So the next seven pounds comes off and then you plateau again. Well, if you keep going down this path, you end up at this unsustainable place where you're eating 1,200 calories a day. You're doing five days a week of cardio. You know, you have a normal life. You have a business or you're working. You've got kids. And you're like, this sucks, you know? And, and then you go out on a weekend or you go on a vacation Oh my gosh, if I just go off for a week, I gain seven pounds. Like what the heck is going on? It's very unsustainable. So the approach that we need to have with exercise is not how do we burn more calories manually, but rather is there a way to teach our metabolisms to burn more calories on its own? Instead of going and exercising for an hour and burning three or 400 calories, can I teach my body to do that by itself? Can I lose 30 pounds? But at the end of this weight loss process, can I end up with a metabolism where I'm eating more than I did when I started? Like, imagine that. Imagine if you exercise, you lose 30 pounds, and you're eating more than you did when you started this process. Like, talk about a sustainable approach, especially, and this is the big case that I make. The case that I make is we need to consider the context of modern life. And modern life looks like this. We're surrounded by easily accessible, hyper palatable food. Okay. It's everywhere. It's cheap. We are in a position and we have been for decades now where we eat for every reason except for actual true hunger. Okay. So we eat because we're happy or sad or we're celebrating or it's breakfast or it's a meeting or we're at the movies or watching, you know, TV. So food is, it's so much a part of who we are. It's also, we're not just eating what's necessary because it's so available. So we got to consider that. We need to consider that. We're also busier today than we were two decades ago. Now, life has gotten physically easier, but we've actually gotten busier. So I have kids. I have three kids and I have one on the way. So I'll have four soon. And, you know, when I was a kid in the 80s and 90s, my mom didn't make play dates. Like we just played. <laughs> right. right. Yep. She didn't have to schedule all these events, right? So these days you schedule play dates. You have to schedule, like we're so busy. Our phones are with us. We're answering emails. So we're actually busier than we were before. We're just inactive, but we're busy. So we're busy, lots of food around us. We got to work with those two things. So is there a way where I can exercise to speed up my metabolism so that that food doesn't cause as many problems? And then is does this form of exercise take a lot of time? Because... I'm probably not going to dedicate five days a week to exercise. I mean, let's, I, I'm going to be very honest with you, having trained as many people as I have, unless you're a fitness fanatic, which 
you know, this was a big mistake I made the first few years of training is I thought everybody was like me and they would love it and fall in love with it. And it would be their favorite thing in the world. The average person exercise is a way to improve their quality of life. It's not their favorite thing in the world to do. It's just something they do to make everything else better. Right. So we're not, we, we need to stop expecting people to do structured workouts five or six days a week. It's not going to happen. What we're going to do, if we do a good, we can convince people and teach them how to fit two or three days a week of structured exercise in the life, and then maybe figure out how to improve or increase activity in their day-to-day lives in ways that isn't structured that takes that need that they need to take time aside to do. That's the strategy. And that's the winning strategy that I've put together. That's led to people losing weight permanently forever. That's the, that's the thing we're after is permanent forever success. So every woman that is listening to this is thinking, okay, what is that? What do I need to do? (laughs) So what do you suggest? Yeah. So, okay. Okay, So there's two parts to this and they're both important. So I'll, I'll, the two parts are this. There's the mechanistic part. So the what, like, what do I do? What does the workout look like? What does the diet look like? That kind of stuff. That's important. Okay. But I'm going to talk about that after because it's not as important as about what I'm about to talk about, which is how we get into it and the behavior that lead to success with the mechanistic parts. Okay. That's the, what I'm about to talk about right now is by far the most important part of it. And I'll start with a story that, um, you know, early in my career, this really came to me because I had a conversation with someone. So when I first became a trainer, I love fitness, um, but I love people even more than I love fitness, thankfully, because that's what led me to to question my methods, to question what I had thought to be true, because it just didn't work. I did a really good job at getting people to lose weight, you know, in a short period of time and keep it off for the typical six months. But then everybody gained it back. It was like the same statistic you see, you know, um, a lot of people don't know this, but we really don't have a weight loss problem in this country. We have a keep weight off problem. Okay. Everybody has gone through a weight loss, you know, time in their life, but 90 plus percent at some point, we just go, we go right back to where we were before. So it was like, it was trying to figure that out. Like, what am I doing wrong? Why isn't this working? Why aren't people able to keep it off? It can't be a discipline. Like it can't be that people are lazy. I'm working with executives and business owners and successful parents. They're obviously consistent with other parts of life. Like what is happening here? And one night I went to dinner with, it was a company dinner. I was with my ex-wife and she worked for a company. So we're sitting around this table and these are coworkers. So nobody's in the fitness space. And, And the reason why I said that is sometimes people in the fitness space were in an echo chamber and we forget that again, that we're not, we're not all going to be fitness fanatics, right? So we're sitting there and, you know, everybody's introducing themselves and people have their spouses there. And, you know, it comes to me, I introduce myself. And at the time I was a trainer and, you know, I get the typical, you know, Oh, don't look what I'm eating. And everybody kind of gets self-conscious for a second, but you know, I put everybody ease, no big deal. So we start having fun and enjoying ourselves. There was a lady sitting across from me. And after a few drinks, she goes, she goes, you know what, Sal? She, I had a friend who was exercised consistently. She ate right. And then when she was 50, she got breast cancer and she passed away. And she says, and you know, after that happened, I just told myself, I'm going to enjoy life. I'm not going to exercise. I don't care about my diet. I'm just going to enjoy life. And man, that hit me like a like a ton of bricks. Like I, I felt that in my body and I kind of sunk in my chair. And, uh, you know, I was quiet for a second. And the reason why it hit me so hard was because of this, this, this strangeness of 
that particular comment. So let me explain. When I heard her say, I'm going to not exercise and I'm not going to eat right so I can enjoy my life. I thought, wow, that is really strange because there's almost nothing you can do. Okay. There's, there's almost no single thing you can do that will improve all of your life, your entirety of your life, the quality of everything, like becoming healthier and more fit. Like really nothing. Like think of anything in your life, a parent, I'm a parent, uh, I'm, I, I'm an executive, you know, uh, sleep, my sex life. I don't care what it is, whatever it is, if you're more fit and healthier, it improves. I agree. So I thought, here's a person it's, it's, and it's a fact. Okay. And all the studies, and I mean, I don't need to say this. I think everybody agrees. Take your current version. Imagine if you were healthier, apply that to anything, everything gets better. So I thought, wow, that's weird. She's stopping these things or not doing these things because she wants to enjoy her life. How is that possible? It's such an illogical statement. How is that possible? And I've heard that before. I've heard that so many times. I've heard, I've heard it many say times. To me, yeah. Like, Hey, why did you stop your workout program? Or why did you stop, you know, following that diet? Oh, I just want to enjoy life. So I thought, Oh my gosh, this is weird. And then, I, and then it dawned on me. We don't, when we go into an exercise program or we go into improving our nutrition or our diet, we are not going into it from a place of self-care. We are not going into it from a positive place. We're going into it from a very negative self-hate place. Okay. So uh, let me paint the picture. You have um, Susan who is, she's going, you know, maybe she's on Facebook and you know how Facebook every once in a while shows you this, uh, you know, memory three years ago type of thing. By the way, when it shows me pictures of my kids, I always get emotional because Same. they grow up so fast. Same. But, so. So you'll see a picture pop up and, you know, maybe Susan looked at it and goes, oh man, I've, I'm, I've gained 20 pounds since mm -hmm. that picture. Yeah. So then she looks in the mirror. So then she looks in the mirror and she says, oh my God, you know, we've had, we've all had these conversations. Uh, yeah, I'm so fat. I'm so disgusting. How could I do this? Oh, that's it. I'm going to the gym tomorrow. That's yep. it. I'm starting a diet tomorrow. Okay. Yep. So this is this is starting those things from a place of self-hate. I'm going to work out because I'm disgusting, I'm fat, um, you know, lazy, whatever. Okay. Negative. I hate myself. I need to change who I am because I hate who I am right now. So the gym becomes or exercise becomes uh punishment. Okay. It's yep. like self-flagellation. Like how many times have I have you heard somebody say, Oh man, yes, we yesterday I ate so much food. I'm going to go to the gym and sweat it off or I'm going to go to the gym and beat myself up. Okay? You hear you hear people say that all the time. Yes. So it's 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 punishment. Exercise is punishment. And the harder and the more sore I get and the more painful it is, the better it is, right? The more relief I feel because of this punishment because I deserve it, okay? Diet or nutrition becomes restriction. Like, for example, Susan starts this diet because she looks herself in the mirror and she saw that old picture of herself and she starts this diet. And two weeks in, she goes to her friend's house and her friend says, hey, I baked these cookies with my daughter. Would you like one? And she goes, no, I can't. No, I can't have a cookie. Yeah. Like, what do you mean? What do you mean you can't? You can. What do you mean you can't? Right. What happens? This is a very interesting um, psychological phenomenon. In fact, we do with ourselves all the time is we, we create two personalities within ourselves, if you will. And one of them is the undisciplined 
you know, the undisciplined child. And the other side is this dictator oppressor and the dictator oppressor is in control now. And then the dictator says, you can't have this cookie. You got to go beat yourself up. You deserve to be sore. You deserve to kill yourself in the gym. And so that works for a short period of time. It's a very powerful short-term motivator. But at some point, at some point, like any kid that gets pushed or whatever, you ever have teenagers, you know what they do, you rebel. And what does it look like when you rebel? Do people ever go off a diet and have one cookie? No. No, they eat a whole box of cookies. Yep. Right? Exactly. And you want, you know, oh my God, you know, my stomach was hurting and I, I kept eating these because of this, the way we go into it. Okay. Now imagine, let's, I'm going to paint a different scenario. Imagine Susan sees the same picture on Facebook, looks in the mirror and she says, you know what? I haven't been taking care of myself the way that I deserve to be taken care of. I deserve to be taken care of the same way I take care of my kids. You know, I take care of my kids. I love them. I make sure that they're healthy and I haven't been doing that to myself and I deserve that. Okay. Now what does exercise look like? Self-care. By the way, her exercise is going to be more appropriate now. She's not going to go to the gym and push herself past appropriate because she's taking care of herself, right? Just like you would with your kid if you were taking care of them versus punishing them, right? Diet. What does diet become now? Self-care. Now she goes to her friend's house and her friend says, hey, would you like a cookie? No, no, thanks. I don't want it. I don't want that cookie. By the way, things like cookies and pizza and whatever, all of these foods can 100% be a part of a healthy lifestyle. And what I mean by that is we have to understand that food, and here's this is another big challenge. Food provides many values to us. Some of the values are its ingredients, it's proteins and fats and carbohydrates and it's calories. And is it healthy for me physiologically? But it also can be healthy for us spiritually. It can be healthy for us bonding with people. You know, like uh, I haven't seen my friend in a while. We're going to go have pizza and a beer. And that pizza and beer is healthy at the moment because right now I'm nourishing another part of myself. So Susan may say, no, I don't want that cookie. But let's say she does really well with the nutrition. She's at, and her, you know, the weight's starting to come off. She's feeling fit and healthy. And then she goes to her friend's house and she says, hey, do you want this cookie? She says, yeah, I think I'll have one. But she's not doing the thing where she goes, I'm going to eat. 15 cookies. Right. So we have to start the right way. And we also have to focus on behaviors, not the color by numbers mechanistic aspect, because humans are not robots. We can't write directions and orders and diets and then input it. And then we follow it and, it, and nothing else matters. It doesn't work that way. We're behavior-based creatures. So what we want to do is we want to work on the behaviors that lead to the type of nutrition and the type of lifestyle that leads to a fit and healthy body. If we don't work on the behaviors and we just work on the steps, then we're going to fail. I promise you, because the behaviors haven't changed. Or if they have temporarily, we've done so in a way where we're going to rebel at some point. That's why you see such a high fail rate. For so a, that's, the, that's the most important part. For a lot of people, that probably is the hardest part to change their behavior and mindset like that. It's extremely challenging. You know, we're talking about diet, you know, our nutrition is such a big part of who we are. I mean, entire cultures have been put around food. And like I said earlier, like our experiences with food is, I, I could list a hundred values that food provides us. And not one of them could be the fact that we're, you know, actually hungry and we need to eat. And we ignore all that when we try to lose weight, right? We think, oh, it's just, you know, calories in, calories out. I'm going to avoid carbs or I'm going to follow this diet or I'm going to cut my calories and count them. It's not a sustainable approach unless you want to become an orthorexic, 
or a fanatic, uh, which there's plenty of those in, in the fitness space. So the behaviors are the most important thing. Now you're right. You, you nailed the, the you, you really hit the nail on the head behaviors and you know, how we our relationship to these things like exercise and nutrition, those are harder to change, but they're not impossible. We just have to understand what we're working with. So to give you an example, I, I've said now a few times that the fail rate on diets is 85, 90%. Studies are pretty clear on this. People lose weight and gain it back within a year or two, uh, 85 to 90%. I bet if you stretch it out long enough, it's closer to you know 95 plus percent, right? But you know, there is one intervention that's got a better success rate than that. Therapy. If you take people who are obese and they say, oh, I'm going to work with a therapist on my food relationship, they actually have a success rate that's higher than people who are obese who go on a diet. Why? Because therapists work with behaviors and they talk things through. And so, and I'm not necessarily advocating for therapy, although I think it's extremely valuable and it can be in this case. I'm just trying to highlight that that's the angle we want to go, not the angle that we're always trying to go, which is what's the latest diet? How, you know, what's the best? way to lose weight. What's give me the orders, give me the instructions. And then I'll just uh, follow that. Okay. So behaviors, let's talk about that for a second. How do we change fundamental behaviors? It's a very slow, long individualized process. Okay. So this is not, it's, this looks very different from person to person. However, the way you approach this can be uh, very similar from person to person. So what I mean by that is here's a very easy way to, to put it. And again, this is a bit of an oversimplification, but if you really are genuine with your approach and you do what I'm about to say and you practice it, um, your chances of success are, are much, much higher. You'll have a majority uh, of the people who follow us will have success versus a minority. So do this. Ask yourself, what's one change I can make towards becoming more fit and healthy that is challenging needs to be challenging because otherwise it has no meaning if you make a change that isn't you know have it some challenge doesn't mean anything to you but also realistic forever so that's the context forever and the reason why i'm saying that is whenever we're ready to make a change we tend to be in a motivated state of mind and motivated sal makes goals <laughs> that unmotivated sal is 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 not prepared to to handle right if you've ever right. we've all done this yep. you're motivated you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do this thing in business, or I'm going to do this thing with my kids. And this is going to be great. And then the motivation, you know, wanes and they're like, what are, you know, no, this is impossible. I'm not going to maintain this. And motivation is a feeling that comes and goes. So we need to stop relying on that, by the way, the fitness industry is great on that. They, they really um, capitalize on this, on people trying to get in shape through this motivated state of mind. That's why you see so much hype and excitement and motivation, right? So you have to say, what's a, one step I can take that's challenging yet realistic forever and be honest with yourself. There is no wrong answer. So it can literally be, you can, and whittle it down, whittle it down, whittle it down. And it can literally be, I'm going to walk five minutes uh, after breakfast. I'm going to start with that. Or I'm going to add vegetables to one meal. Or I'm going to drink an extra glass of water a day. Or I'm going to go to bed 15 minutes early. Whatever. Okay. I don't care what that is. Start there. And then do that until it becomes a a habit or a behavior. And then ask yourself again. Now, what happens through this process, because people think, oh, this is going to take forever. Not necessarily. What happens through this process, you actually build the skill of discipline. You build confidence. And the time in between each step gets shorter and shorter, meaning the first step, you might stick to that for six months. Then the next step between that step and the next step might take three months and so on. 
And then each step that you take tends to get bigger and bigger. So you might've started with five minutes of walking after breakfast, but then you do that and you're like, wow, I do this every morning and this is great. And you're confident. You're like, you know what? I think I'm gonna do 15 minutes, three days a week of strength training, right? A little bit of a bigger step. And, and so this is what tends to happen over time. And you start to make these changes that stick and last and they get bigger and bigger and your success goes through the roof by it. But with this approach, so that's how you have to approach it. And you have to approach it from a place of self-care. So now that we kind of understand that we can get into, you know, some of the more mechanistic aspects of, you know, kind of what I talk about. Yeah. I'd love to ask you about actually now getting to the gym and what we do at the gym, because you've explained so well all about behaviors. I think people understand, okay, I need to fix my mindset. I need to set these little goals. So now let's talk about at the gym, because it's really trendy to see people um, at these fitness classes or like weightlifting classes five, six times a week, like you said. So how many times should we be doing resistance training a week? Or is there not a set amount? There, there isn't, it has to be appropriate to the individual. So, um, think of the most effective dose of exercise or strength training as like a bell curve. So on this end is not enough to get my body to improve or change in the middle is the perfect dose. And at the end is too much. This is different from person to person. So if you're, if you've been exercising consistently for the last 10 years, and you love it, and you've been training your body really effectively, the dose it takes for you to get your body to progress any further is far higher or far of a larger dose than if I took somebody who hasn't exercised in 15 years, is 30 pounds overweight, deconditioned, and they're just about to get started, right? It's a very different dose. I'm not going to apply the same dose. This dose is too low for this person, and this dose is way too high for this other person. So you want the perfect dose. So now the question is, well, what is that? Right. I'm just thinking, well, goodness, I work out. So what is my perfect dose? Yeah. So what does that look like? Well, there's there's a couple of metrics you can use to measure this. First off, I do want to say that the average person, what the average person is looking for is to be generally healthy, generally fit, and to have a good quality of life. Most people, although they may admire uh, to some extent, the extreme bodies that you that you see on social media. Most people don't want, you know, 5% body fat. Most people don't want to look like a professional bodybuilder or a, you know, a strength athlete or professional athlete. They, most people are like, look, I just want to be fit, fit. Gen- just gen- generally fit and healthy. Right. And I want to be able to live my life and enjoy, you know, my family and feel good and sleep good and all that stuff. Most people can accomplish this with about two, maybe three structured days of exercise a week. Okay, with really good exercise programming, meaning the most appropriate and most effective form of exercise. And again, I want to say this, most effective does not mean the hardest. That is not the same thing as effectiveness. Effectiveness is what works. Hard is just perceived effort. So, okay, when, you, so you, when you say effective, though, are you talking resistance training? Okay, so resistance training and strength training is when you compare it head to head to other forms of exercise in the context that we've painted by far the most effective for a few different reasons. One, uh, it speeds up your metabolism. Okay. So, you know, if I could snap my fingers and and solve the obesity epidemic with one factor, it would be to speed up everybody's metabolism. If I can make everybody burn a thousand calories more a day naturally, then nobody would be obese or we would largely solve uh, that issue. So number one, it speeds up the metabolism 
through the muscle building process. Now it's, it's, there's two reasons for this. One is muscle is very calorie expensive. So muscle just burns a lot of calories to maintain in comparison to other tissues of the body. But two, just sending the signal to your body that you need strength and muscle and feeding it appropriately also moves the efficiency scale from of calories away from more efficient to less efficient. So to put it differently, with your current lean body mass, even if you gain no additional muscle, okay, you have a range of calories your body can operate on. There's more efficient, less efficient. What tells it to go in either direction? Sleep, stress, you know, how you feed your body. Does your body need strength? Does it not need strength? Does it feel like it needs to hold on to calories? Or does it feel like calories are available so it can burn them? You know, all that hormones, like oh, lots of things affect this, okay? When you send the signal to your body through strength training, it says, I need strength, I need muscle, um, and you feed your body appropriately so you don't over-diet you eat a diet that fuels that, then your body can become less efficient and burn more calories. And then if you throw a little you know, a little bit extra muscle on that, three, four pounds of muscle, where you just feel more tight or you know, toned is the word I, I said earlier in this, uh, this particular podcast, um, you're burning more calories, right? So it speeds up the metabolism. It also, this is a very unique uh, aspect to strength training, organizes your hormones in a way to do all of this, okay? So this is important. This is a really important point. If you think of the muscle and strength building process, there's a hormone profile that is ideal for that. And then there's a hormone profile that's not ideal for that. So building muscle requires healthy testosterone levels in both men and women. And, and women also have testosterone. It's also very important for women as well. For the same reasons it's important in men. They just have far less. It's important for confidence, drive, motivation, muscle, strength, energy, all of those things, right? So you need to have healthy testosterone for muscle. Try building muscle with no testosterone. It's very, very difficult, almost impossible. In women, you have to have a balance of estrogen and progesterone. It, the wrong balance of that can make it almost impossible. You have to have good insulin sensitivity. So we talk about um, you know people becoming inset, you know their bodies becoming insulin insensitive uh, or having issues with blood sugar. This is actually quite the epidemic. Insulin is actually a, a very anabolic or pro-muscle building hormone. Muscle is very insulin sensitive. It requires insulin, um, just like it requires testosterone as part of the process. So you become more insulin sensitive. Growth hormone, you know, the youth hormone. Well, that starts to go up at, at two more youthful levels. Cortisol, the stress hormone. We need cortisol, but too much of it you can tell your body to get rid of muscle because you're under a lot of stress. Let's get rid of this expensive tissue. You know, we don't know if we're going to come up, uh, you know, buy more calories because again, through most of human history, stress involved usually meant we don't have enough food. So cortisol becomes more appropriate. I have, you know, a spike of cortisol in the morning for energy, but then it comes down nicely uh, throughout the day. So your hormones, because you're telling it to build some muscle, start to organize themselves in a youthful way. Okay. No other form of exercise has been shown to do this. Now, to be clear, becoming healthier tends to give you a better hormone profile, period. However, no form of exercise has been shown to directly affect hormones like strength training. In fact, not only does strength training do that, it also increases what, are, what is known as androgen receptor density. So androgen receptors in men and women are the receptors that testosterone attaches to so that you can get the benefits of testosterone, like I said earlier, in both men and women. Confidence, energy strength, muscle, um, 
you know, motivation, that kind of stuff. Think of it like as a dopamine type hormone. Okay. Your, your body actually up regulates androgen receptors when it's trying to build muscle. So now all of a sudden you feel like, whoa, I feel good. I feel strong. I have this confidence right from doing that. So that's a very important, unique aspect uh, of strength training. It all, and the insulin sensitizing effects is a big one, by the way. Um, you know, so many of our health issues are associated with our inability to utilize insulin appropriately, including uh, brain degenerative disorders like Alzheimer's. Um, in fact, there was a study showing that uh, strength training had the, the most positive effect on Alzheimer's of any form of exercise. And they speculate that it had to do with the insulin, you know, sensitizing effects. Right. So for those reasons, it's the most effective form of exercise. Then you throw on top of this, my favorite part. You don't need to do it all the time. We don't need to do it all the time because the main value is not the calories I'm burning while I'm doing it, but the adaptation. If I do it good and I do it right twice a week, my body is going through that process all week long. I don't need to go and, and just try to burn calories every single day. It's happening. And by the way, when you build a little strength and a little bit of muscle, you also develop something called muscle memory. So you can actually look this up. This is a, a well-documented phenomenon. If it took you a year to gain four pounds of muscle, and speed up your metabolism, let's say by 600 calories. And then let's say for some reason, you just stop exercising completely for a few months and lose all four pounds of muscle. And then you start exercising again, you'll gain it back in a fraction of the time. So if, oh, if you've ever had a cast, yeah. So you've probably experienced this, right? Where, you know, you, maybe you've had an injury and you've had a cast and you take the cast off. Oh my God, I lost a lot of muscle. And then you just start moving and it just bounces back. So the type of results you get through strength training are far more permanent than the results you get from other forms of strength training, which really lends itself well to the fact that most people will miss a week here or there just because of normal stuff. It's incredible to me. If women understood that weight training um, sped up their metabolism and balanced their hormones, I would be like, why isn't every woman doing this? But instead, we still are doing a ton of cardio because it's good for our heart and burns calories. So we've got to change yeah. that mind shift about what weight training can really do for the body. But I want to ask you this about weight training, because I've been to a lot of different gyms and a lot of different weight training classes, personal trainer, things like that. Sometimes I go to a weight training class and it's like a bazillion reps of the same thing with really light weights. And then sometimes I'll go and it's heavy weights and very few reps. So when you're talking about resistance training and weightlifting, is one better than the other? Yeah. So the, the going from exercise to exercise and, and sweating a lot and all that stuff, that's just cardio with weights. So it's not strength training. What they're doing is they're using dumbbells and weights because maybe it's trendy and then they're calling it you know body pump or whatever. Um, and they're doing cardio with weights and because the perceived value is high because wow, I'm sweating a lot. I'm sore. You know, my heart rate's up. Um, it's actually a very effective selling tool for classes, especially when you're you're capturing these new people that are coming in when they're first motivated, right? So no, that's not strength training. Strength training, if you want to build muscle, you have to in strength and speed up the metabolism. You want to train the uh, the anaerobic part of performance. So aerobic is stamina, cardio, go, go, go. Anaerobic is strength. Strength, you burn the type of energy you burn for anaerobic activity very quickly. So 10 reps, 15 reps, 20 reps, or as low as five reps even. And then you rest. You rest for a minute or two. Allow that anaerobic energy to build back up. 
and then you train it again. You're training strength. You're not training tons of endurance and stamina. That's where you're going to derive uh, the benefits that we're talking about. So it's like traditional, you know, bodybuilding training, for example. You know, and I, and I said that on purpose, by the way. I said bodybuilding because I'll tell you why more women aren't doing this. There's still this perception and myth that if I lift weights, if I do any kind of strength training, or if I lift heavy, I'm going to build these huge, massive muscles. I'm going to look, you know, manly or bulky. Bulky, yep. This is so wrong and so damaging. You know, and I hear women, oh, no, I build muscle quick. You don't understand. It doesn't work that way. You're, you think, first, building muscle is a very slow process. But here's the most important part, because I'm sure you can point to people on social media, women that do look, I mean, more muscular than I look, right? And you think, well, what about her? You know, what about these people? Your ability to build muscle we all have the ability to build strength and muscle, but your ability to build muscles is largely determined by the kind of genetics and genes that you have. And hormones play a role in that as well. That's why men can build more muscle than women, but it's more complicated than that. The spectrum of genetics for muscle building is so, it's so wide. So like on one end, you have these extreme muscle building anomalies. On the other end, you have, you know, muscular, uh, development issues and genetic issues that people have to get treated for 98, 99% of us are in the middle. Okay. So most of us are, are right here in the middle and it's so rare to be on the extreme end where if you actually lift weights and you get really big, that's as extreme as people being seven feet tall. Okay. okay. So yeah. So think about it this way. Like unless you go to an NBA game, how often do you see people that are seven feet tall in real life? Right. Like never, like never happens. Okay. So you do not possess that extreme, those extreme genetics where if you go work out, that's going to happen. You're going to look like a bodybuilder. It's not going to happen. What you're, what's going to happen is you're just going to get tight. You're going to feel sculpted. You're going to get a faster metabolism. You will build some muscle, but I also want to make this point right here. Muscle is dense, meaning, you know, 10 pounds of muscle takes up less space than 10 pounds of body fat. It's like one, maybe one fourth the space or something like that. So if you lost 10 pounds of body fat and gained 10 pounds of muscle, you'd be smaller. Muscle is also shapely and you can sculpt it, meaning I can choose where I want more muscle to go. Um, if I want my butt to be more round, if I want better posture, if I want my shoulders to look good, like I can target areas of my body to develop, but I don't want to give people false hope. It takes time. It takes a long time. Um, but yeah, if you gain 10 pounds, even if you gain 10 pounds of muscle, although the scale would say you were 10 pounds heavier, you would probably hear from people, huh, you look like you've been working out. You look a little bit more, have you lost weight? I used to get clients with this all the time where the scale wouldn't move or they'd even gain a pound. And then they'd be like, everybody's asking me if I'm losing weight, what's going on? Well, you look different. You right. got, you're more shapely, you know, the, the, and, and muscle does that for us. So we got to stop being afraid of, of muscle. It's not going to happen. And even if it did, if it could, it wouldn't happen overnight. Uh, but if, but if you do it, if you follow it and you do it right, you'll get this snowball effect where the weight loss starts off slow, primarily because fat loss is happening, not muscle loss. But then as the metabolism kicks in, it'll start to accelerate. And then you'll end in this, you'll end up in this place where you have this like roaring metabolism that makes it really easy to maintain. Okay. So I have three questions for you, but one, I actually, I'm amazed because I think these gyms advertise it wrong then because I've been going to what I thought were weight lifting classes, but really they're just weights with cardio. So it's not going to necessarily build muscle for me. Correct? No. I mean, you might look, if you're totally deconditioned, you might maybe build a little bit uh, just to go from nothing to that. But 
No, and why? It takes way more time and it's not nearly as profitable to educate people on what I'm saying. It just isn't. It's way more profitable. Look, it's easy. I've I've managed gyms, big box ones. I've grand opened them, okay? I know what makes money in a gym. And if I opened a gym to make money, I would not have classes educating people on the proper way to do this. And I would have a class that was exciting. I'd have a DJ in there playing amazing music. I'd have an instructor that's fun, that makes it exciting. I'd make people sweat. I'd make them really sore. I'd make it so they crawled out of the class because, remember, they hate themselves. So now they feel cathartic and they bond over it. You get people like high-fiving each other. We survive. And I would just keep them for six months. They'd fall off and I'd get the next people coming in for six months. And most people would keep their you know $15 a month membership because it's too, too cheap to cancel. This is the gym model, by the way. Okay, so, yeah, but, no, they, they don't, they're not doing the right thing. Definitely but that's got to be better than nothing. Uh, well, okay. Well, is moving better than not moving? Yes, to an extent, unless you're, you're, you're hurting and beating yourself up. Well, I've seen cases where it's not better than nothing. Okay, well, let's talk about overdoing it. So what is overdoing it? Because some girls will do like two classes a day. They'll work out every single day. So how do you know if you're overdoing it? Okay, well, uh, there's a few things you want to look at. One, look at all the signs of your body. How's my energy? How's my libido? How's my skin? How's my hair? How's my digestion? Um, how are my moods? Okay, so look at all those different things. Am I health is a sphere that encompasses all all of those things and more. It's not just this the weight on the scale or the amount of punishment that I can take. So look at all those things. Here's the, here's another one. You should not or maybe feel a little bit of soreness after a workout. So either not sore or a tiny bit. Anything more than that, you overdid it. So I know okay. I'm blowing people's minds right now, but if you do a workout and you're sore for two days, you overdid it. Okay. If you do a workout and you're not sore, good job. Or if you're a tiny bit sore, good job. You did a great job. Here's another one. You should have more energy after the workout than you did before. Okay. So you, should, you shouldn't finish a workout and be like, I got to go lay down. Go I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted. You should leave the workout and be like, I am ready to tackle the day. I feel so good. I feel so energized. I don't think I've that's ever a- felt that. <laughs> I always feel exhausted. That's most people. Most people do it that way. You know, when, you know what's funny? As When I was a trainer, I remember when I put that together, when I really started, like, you know, because I, I would keep asking myself, like, how do I, why isn't this working? Why am I not successful? And then I started to kind of piece that together. And I would get clients before that, if a client called me it, to cancel an appointment or called me during the day, it would be to cancel. Like, hey, Sal, I'm really tired. I had a rough day at work. I think I'm going to skip our workout today. Okay. And so that would happen sometimes. When I started to figure out what I just told you, I would get this call. Hey, Sal, I had a rough day at work. I'm really tired. Do you have any time today for a workout? Oh, that's then interesting. Knew, that's when I knew I'm doing something right. People now are, are seeking this because it's making them feel better. So no, you should feel better. I just look just before this, I just had a, a workout and I feel amazing. If I I know I overdo it when my workouts make me feel like I need to sit down and turn everything off and take a nap. That's when I overdid it. And your body doesn't improve that way. It just doesn't improve. You, all you're doing is you're just you're just taking punishment. Okay, that's really good to know. I have another question though, because building muscle, I feel like is a new trend on social media. Like a lot of women are like, oh, we're trying to lift weights, build muscle. But along with that comes a lot of either macro counting or you need more protein, more, more, more protein. So is that true? Do we need more protein as we're lifting weights? 
Okay, so protein is an essential macronutrient. So fat and protein are both essential, meaning you have to consume a certain amount uh, or otherwise your body will fail to thrive and you can actually die. Okay, so carbohydrates, non-essential, not saying you shouldn't eat them. I think a balanced diet is ideal for most people. Um, but if you never ate a carbohydrate for the rest of your life, you wouldn't die from it. But proteins and fats are both essential. So there's an essential amount you need in order just to thrive. Now, above that, you do get better results when it comes to both mu muscle building and fat loss and satiety from eating more protein. The studies are very consistent on this. Now, before I continue, there's always individual variances. So if what I'm saying uh, you know, convinces you to increase your protein intake, you go do it and you notice gastro distress, you notice digestive issues, you don't feel good, uh, then go ahead and bring it back down, okay? But most people, and again, this is very clear in the studies, do far better uh, with the higher protein diet. They get, you, you build muscle, you burn more body fat. If you do lose weight, it tends to be body fat and not muscle. And then the, the most important aspect of more protein, the part that I like the most, is it's the most satiety-inducing macronutrient, meaning it really helps a lot with cravings. It helps a lot with appetite. Okay. So yes, a high protein diet is important. Now what's high protein? Studies show that the upper limit for benefit, in other words, more than what I'm about to say will probably yield you no additional benefit. The upper limit is about 0 0.6 to 0 0.8 grams of protein per pound of body weight in normal weight individuals. If you're obese, you probably want to use your lean body mass. So you could figure out what your body fat percentage is or maybe subtract 30 pounds off of this number, for example. But you want to go about 0 0.6 to 0 0.8 grams of protein per pound of body weight. So if you're a 150-pound female, you know, 120 grams of protein, and you're doing uh, phenomenal. Uh, you're doing great. The second part of that is because of its satiety-inducing effects, uh, a great strategy is you eat your meals. Um, to eat the protein before you eat anything else. So if you have your food in front of you, finish the protein part of the meal and then finish all the other parts. And what, what they find in studies is that people generally tend to eat less calories when they do it with uh, that way. We also see now too with continual glucose monitor studies. So these are devices that you can wear that measure glucose in real time. They're really cool. Uh, we actually work with a company called NutriSense uh, that does this. And um, we had one of their nutritionists uh, on our show and she explained that when people eat protein first, that blood sugar response is blunted significantly. Mm, now, why is that, that important? Well, besides the insulin effects and the health effects, which I think a lot of people know, when you're not experiencing these ups and downs, you're less likely to experience the irritability, the cravings, the mood changes that are associated with those ups and downs. And you want to avoid those because those feelings tend to lead to behaviors that tend to lead to overeating. So when you're when your blood sugar is doing this all day long and you feel irritable or tired or whatever, you tend to reach for comfort producing foods, which tend to be the foods that aren't so great for you. So high protein, eat the protein first, great strategy and protein sources. If you're eating a lot of protein, don't make that big of a difference. It can be plant protein, can be animal protein. If your protein intake is lower, plant protein sources make more of a difference. Animal sources being higher in the essential amino acids they tend to be more valuable. But if your protein's high, it really doesn't make that big of a difference. Okay, so I've heard this a lot lately on social media about protein. Well, I've heard two things. One, people like to say why protein is bad, which I don't agree with. But then two, I've heard a lot like 
oh, you're aging, you're getting older, you're in your 40s or perimenopause or menopause. And if you don't eat enough protein, then like when you work out, all that stuff's just going to turn to fat rather than muscles. So have you heard that before? Yeah. Well, first off, you can't turn muscle to fat and vice versa. It's like alchemy, right? It would be like turning lead to gold. It's two completely well, not necessarily tissues. like muscles to fat, but just that you're going to store things as fat, I should say, rather than muscle. Right. Making no, muscle. Um, not really. I mean, look, your body, if you do the, if you fuel it appropriately, so you have to have at least what your body needs to build muscle. So if, if you send the, it's like, think of it this way. It's like a, a construction planner. Okay. So we're going to build a building. So I have the instructions and I give it to the workers. So that's the workout. Here's your instructions. Now the workers are ready to go, but they don't have any bricks. Well, yeah, they can't build any muscle. So you gotta, you gotta at least fuel your body enough to make that process happen. So if you're, if you're going and you're doing strength training, cause you hear me talking here and you're like, Oh, this sounds great. But then you're eating, you know, a thousand calories a day it's going to be very difficult to fuel that metabolism boosting muscle building process. So you need to eat at least enough to fuel that. And then what I said earlier, higher protein intake within the parameters of your, of your caloric intake will lead to better results. You'll build muscle faster and you'll recover faster. Um, and you'll, you and the, and if you do burn, uh, lose body weight, more of it's going to come from body fat than other tissues. If you do it that way. But again, there's this, individual variants within that. Remember I said there's essential protein and then beyond that we can go higher. Some people just, if they eat too much protein, don't feel great. They're, they they have digestive issues. Not a lot, by the way, this is not common, but I'd say 10% of people will be like, oh, I get constipated. That's a real common one. Um, in which case then it's not right for you. You know, you, you have to be healthy and, and dealing with gastro, gastro issues it, it means that this higher protein intake isn't going to work for you. But barring those individual variances, yeah, yeah. You want to aim for that 0.6 to 0.8 grams of protein per body weight while you're doing this to fuel and to support uh, the adaptations that we're looking for. And is that number the same as you age? Because I keep hearing like if you're in perimenopause, menopause, you need more protein, but we're still so, using those numbers. Yeah. So studies show that as you age, protein is more important to prevent the muscle wasting effects of aging. But you know what's funny about this is if you strength train or do resistance training and you feed yourself appropriately, the muscle wasting effects of aging are blunted significantly, like huge. Okay, so here's a – I'm going to give you some statistics that might blow your mind. Let's talk about this, some strength sports. Let's talk about powerlifting, okay? Powerlifting is a sport where people compete to see who can lift the most in three lifts, the squat, the deadlift, and the bench press. Okay. So these are like fanatics. So we're talking about extremes here. I'm not talking about healthy. I'm not talking about fit or the average person. I'm talking about extreme athletes. The strongest people in those sports tend to be mid to late thirties, early forties. Okay. So if, if age had this profound effect on muscle loss, how is it that these champion power lifters are 40, right? So the age effect is greatly exaggerated. A lot of it has to do with, now I'm not saying that age doesn't play a role, okay? But it's greatly exaggerated. A big reason why people notice these negative effects of aging is you just had longer time on earth to do, to be inactive or to eat in a particular way or to lose sleep or you're raising kids or stress, right? Is hitting you differently. So 
That's the big difference. The most fit people I've ever trained were in their 40s and 50s. That's a fact. 100%. Oh, that's that's good to know. That's where I'm at. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And and then here's the other part of that. Okay. There's definitely a difference between a a 20 year old and a 50 year old. Okay. All things being equal, of course. There's a 30 year time gap there. But I'm gonna tell you something right now. The difference between a fit 20 year old and a non fit 20 year old is this. The difference between a fit 50 year old and a not fit 50 year old is this much wider. You go up to seven, you, you go up to, yes, much wider. You go up to 70 or 80 and it's the difference between needing full-time care and being independent. Okay. So just, you know, taking care of yourself, exercising, eating in a particular way, as you get older, it doesn't get worse. It gets better. It actually gets better. You know, now that I'm, I'm 43 now, and now with my peers who don't exercise, I see a very big difference. When I was working out 20, there was a difference, but it wasn't like it is now. Now I can see a huge difference right. between me and my peers. And that gap just continues to, to widen. So, but yeah, the studies show higher protein as you age helps with that. However, if you're aiming for that number I gave you, that 0.6 to 0.8, that applies across the board. What they show in those studies is low protein you know, in your 20s versus low protein in your, you know, 50s and 60s. If you're eating 0.6 to 0.8, you're covering all those bases. Okay. So we talked about protein. Does fat play a role in muscle building or how much fat we need to intake, not intake, or we don't need to worry about that as much? Yeah. Well, you need essential fat um, at least. So you have to consume a certain amount of fatty acids because your body can't produce them. Fat is important for hormone um, health. It's, it's important for skin uh, it's important for um, our moods, our central nervous system, our nerves. So you and I are—we both grew up during a time. I mean, I don't. Do you remember when low fat was? Oh yeah, was what was healthy? Oh yeah, I'm yeah. like it was ridiculous how low my fat intake was because that yeah. was what so you were was, supposed to do. Yeah, it was crazy, right? And so then you started running into problems, mm-hmm. and I would get clients that where they'd come in, and I would just have them increase their fat intake, and oh my gosh, it was like a miracle, right? So you have to eat a, a certain amount of fat. Uh, to meet those needs, it's essential. And if you go too low, you're forget it. You can forget, and I don't forget muscle building. Yes, you're not going to build muscle because you're not eating essential fat. You're also not going to produce the right amount of hormones. Your hair is going to fall out. You're going to feel you're going to feel terrible, right? So, you have to have a certain amount of fat. Now, how much fat? Very individual. Some people feel much better with a higher fat diet. Other people feel much better with a lower fat diet. So you have to really determine this for yourself. What gives you the most satiety? what gives you the most energy, what gives you the best inflammation. And usually it's, it's, it's a ratio between fat to carbohydrates. Cause you know, overall you want to make sure you eat the right amount of calories. Some people do better with more fat, less carbohydrates. Other people do better with less fat, more carbohydrates, but so long as you eat, you eat the, the amount of fat your body needs, the rest is up to individual variants. Okay. That's really good to know. Okay, so if someone is listening to the show and they are really excited to start weight training and they are excited about the benefits of it, what's the realistic amount of muscle that someone would build um, like in a month, in a year? Like, do we gain muscle yeah. pretty quick or not necessarily? Okay, so if somebody were, so I'll, I'll, I'll paint the context. So somebody for work, if they were consistent with two days a week of 45 minutes of strength training for a year, and they they ate relatively good. Okay, so I'm, I'm I'm leaving room here for you know normal life, but relatively good and consistent. And they got you know normal sleep, so there were no crazy stresses and all that stuff. In a year, a woman probably will gain anywhere between 
six to eight pounds of muscle. Okay. A man probably closer to 12, maybe 10 to 15 pounds of muscle could probably gain. Okay. Now there's, there's people outside of that range below and above, but that's going to be about the average. Um, and that's going to result in a, in a uh, much faster uh, metabolism, a much better calorie burn and a different looking body. Now, how does someone start? It's probably you know, you know, people are wondering at this point. Well, first off, this is going to guide people. What I'm about to say is going to guide people in so much more of the right direction. View strength training. Well, first off, view all exercise in this way. It's a skill. Stop viewing it as a way to sweat and get sore and get tired. So what do I mean by that? I'll tell you a story where, where uh, that maybe illustrates this a little better. I was uh, years ago, I was hiking up in the hills here up in Northern California. We've got some beautiful hills. And I like to go hiking. It's uh, something I enjoy doing aside from strength training. So I'm up there and, you know, every, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes, a runner would pass me by. And, you know, I'm a trainer. So it's very hard for me not to notice biomechanics. So, you know, one person runs by and I notice, oh boy, that person's feet are pronating really bad. Or, wow, that's a really bad, that's a really strong anterior pelvic tilt. That's going to hurt in a year. You know, and I'm, I'm just, I see this, I see all this just really bad patterning. And then this, person runs by and they look like a gazelle. I mean, they were just gliding and it was just beautiful mechanics and just perfect technique. And then it dawned on me, you know why so many people have terrible running mechanics? Because nobody laces up the running shoes and thinks I'm going to go learn how to run perfectly. They just say, I'm going to go run till I get tired. Right. Okay. And you ain't, you're not going to learn a skill if you just do it till you're tired. It's like, it's like learning how to play basketball. You go out in the court and you just run around as hard as you can versus learning how to dribble and shoot and do all the, all that stuff. So if you want to do this right and you want to reap the most benefits out of strength training, practice the exercises. Don't train or, or work out with the exercises. So when you go to the gym and you're going to squat, for example, think to yourself, I'm going to perfect the skill of squatting or I'm going to perfect the skill of pressing or rowing or pulling or twisting or you know lunging or whatever movement you're doing practice them as skills and that will lead you in the right direction your intensity will be appropriate because if you're perfecting the skill if you go too hard your skill your technique goes out the window so you're more likely to have perfect form and you're also focusing on what makes the exercise so effective in the first place why is a squat so effective for what it does because of the technique and skill behind it not just because you're moving right so treat those treat your workouts like skills that'll lead you in the right direction so when you go to the gym do that then the second part is Choose the biggest bang for your buck exercises, the ones that'll give you the most in return for the time that you spend doing them. These exercises are known as compound lifts or gross motor movements. Basically, it means these are big movements that utilize uh, large parts of the body. So, um, and I'll list a few of them here. So squats, lunges, bench presses, or push-ups rows or body rows or pull-ups or similar movements, dips uh, or similar movements, overhead presses or similar movements, some kind of rotation, right? Keep it basic, focus on foundational exercises, and then practice them. Go to the gym and pick three or four of them and practice each one for three sets, maybe 10 repetitions, and try and get better at doing those lifts uh, for 45 minutes and pick a different three or four the next time you go. If you just did that, oh gosh, you would get such great, consistent injury-free results. That is amazing advice. Thank you for giving that. 
I have so many questions that I could ask you. I could keep going on and on, but I need to wrap up. So thank you so much for being here. If my um, listeners want to learn more from you, where will they find you? So Mind Pump is the podcast that I host. Uh, we're a fitness and health and slash entertainment podcast. And you can find us anywhere. Uh, you can also, if you want more free exercise information, like technique and stuff, you can go to Mind Pump TV on YouTube. Um, our podcast is also on YouTube, but we also have a channel where we just teach exercises. Um, and then if you want free, like written information and guides, you can go to mindpumpfree.com and we have guides that can help you with many different fitness, uh, goals. That's incredible. I love everything that you're trying to teach. People need to hear it. So thank you so much. I thank always you. end my podcast with asking my guests what they have found to be the best ingredient in life. What would you say it is? Oh, that's easy for me. It's family. I love my family so much. And um, it really, it, it drives a lot of what I do. And, um, you know, without that main ingredient, I mean, I don't, I don't know if life would be worth living for me. So it's got to be family. I love that. I've got a big family as well. So I agree with you. And congrats on baby number four coming. That's really exciting. Thank you very much. Looking, not looking forward to the lack of sleep, but looking forward to meet my, my baby daughter. Yes. Those first few months are rough. That's for sure. <laughs> 100%. Thank you, Sal, so much for being here. I really appreciate you taking the time. I've learned a lot. I am actually really motivated to stop all my <laughs> weightlifting classes that I do and go do the right strength training moves. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to subscribe to the Just Ingredients podcast to learn more about your health and good ingredients to life. Plus, get daily tips at just.ingredients on Instagram.